We begin today with the discovery that, well, sometimes you can totally judge a book by its cover. We wonder why religion professors don't have more original names. We name the major religions of the world, and we ponder the age-old Sesame Street question, is one of these things not like the other? All on the way to answering the question, but is it a religion? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. The university I attended and graduated from was and still is owned by the Episcopal Church. And although there is an Episcopal seminary there, and there's certainly an Episcopal flavor to the school, this is not in any sense a religious school. And by that, I simply mean that I had friends who went to what I consider more religiously grounded school, where they had to profess particular beliefs in accordance to some religious group standard of right or wrong. We didn't have to do any of that. Now, there was a time in the past when chapel attendance, and there's a beautiful church that we call a chapel, which is on campus, but chapel attendance was at one time in the past required at my school. There was also a time when they attended Saturday classes, but those kind of traditions are long gone. There's still lots of traditions there, but those are gone. And the kind of lone vestige of being a religious school is that every student is required to take a religion course, Religion 101. And of course, this was for me not a course in how to be a Christian or a course even about Christianity. It was really a discussion of religion in the broadest sense. Now, my professor was Dr. Gerald Smith. And the first book we read in this class was written by Dr. George Sheehan, not doctor as in professor, but doctor as in a medical doctor. But I didn't know that initially until I read the book. The book's written by Dr. George Sheehan and was entitled On Running. And I opened the book, I remember very clearly, to read it, prepared to delve into the mysteries of religion as revealed through the metaphor of running. At least that's what I expected. What I discovered was a book, well, that was about running. It was a book by a guy obsessed with running. There was no real religion involved at all. The best I could tell, the reason we read the book was so that Dr. Smith could ask us one question. Is running a religion? Well, obviously, At first glance, you just want to say, no, now we can move on. Why'd we read the book? And I guess we could have turned to our professor, Dr. Smith, and answered the question with the question, well, how do you define religion, professor? But he wasn't the type of guy to have answered that. That just wasn't his style, so that wasn't going to work. Now, let's check for a moment. Let's check online for a definition of religion. The first answer that seems to pop up here on my screen is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods. Now, remember that definition because we're going to come back to it. Back to my college class. I want to say up front, I tend to like controversial and provocative questions around religion and faith. 
especially when they are intended to help us lay bare some sort of underlying assumption that we assume is baked into every single person's belief system, but maybe that's not true. I think that's the reason why I like making this podcast. Unfortunately, the book On Running was, well, boring. It was to me. You may love the book, and that's fine. And the discussion that followed reading it was, well, it wasn't very interesting either. What I will say, it did begin in me. It planted the seed of an enduring curiosity as to what religion is and what it's not. Now, ask a random sampling of people on the street, say, to name the major religions of the world, and you're probably going to get a fairly similar list. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. They'll probably all come up again and again. Some will skip others. Now, there are other religions, lots of them in the world, but I would imagine those are going to be the most common answers. Interestingly, many people of faith will tell you that Buddhism isn't even a religion. Wait, wait, how can it be a major religion of the world and yet not even a religion? One of the challenges with deciding whether or not it is a religion is that, well, Buddha himself didn't much like to answer this kind of question. So when asked the definitive kind of questions that we think religion should answer, like, do I have a soul or what happens when I die? He often just kind of sidestepped, avoided giving the, once again, the kind of definitive answers that we would expect from a religion. So if you asked a current Buddhist monk if Buddhism is a religion, he might well answer you with a question rather than an answer. He might say something like, do you want it to be a religion? Part of the struggle and the debate over whether or not Buddhism is a religion is that Buddha himself was not a god. Now, I don't mean that I, as a Christian, am proclaiming him not to be a god. I mean, Buddhism doesn't believe him to be a god. He was, and they're very clear on this, just a regular guy who lived a remarkable life and achieved something quite remarkable called nirvana, and I'm not going to go into all of that. And so he became a guide for others hoping to follow a similar path. And as a whole, Buddhism really isn't about a divine being. And again, Buddhism doesn't really have many things that they would say you have to believe in order to be a Buddhist. So anything I say about it, you can probably find exceptions. But when people from the West encounter Buddhism, they want to understand it through the lens of religion. But it doesn't really meet the Western notion of a religion. Remember the definition of religion we found on the internet, the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods. Yeah, that is not Buddhism. So according to that definition, well, Buddhism definitely isn't a religion. Okay, so here's where things get kind of interesting. It's generally now accepted that religion, as we know the word, is not an ancient idea, but a fairly modern one. So even if you had been able to go back in time and ask Buddha, hey, by the way, what you're founding right now, is this a religion? The question, using that word, well, that word didn't exist in the way that we understand it today. 
There was a professor who worked at the University of Chicago. His name was Smith. Huh. What is it with all these religion professors named Smith? Anyway, he is Dr. J.Z. Smith, to be more specific. He's also sometimes referred to in the literature as Jonathan Smith. But given that he looks like he could have played Dumbledore in Harry Potter, I thought Jay-Z sounded like it had more personality, so I chose that particular moniker for him. Anyway, he wrote about exactly this issue, and he said something truly fascinating. Here's the quote from him. Religion is not a native term. It is a term created by scholars for their intellectual purposes and therefore is theirs to define. It's a second-order generic concept that plays the same role in establishing a disciplinary horizon as a concept such as language plays in linguistics or culture plays in anthropology. Evidently, the idea of religion as we now use it really began in the field of anthropology. As they studied various cultures, they also encountered various faith systems, and they tended to want to view those faith systems in the same way living creatures and their genetics have been studied. If you take all living creatures and trace their genetic roots, you will eventually find, potentially, that their genetics merge with the origins of all other living creatures, tracing back to a single common ancestor almost four billion years ago. So anthropologists thought, surely religions are like this. They trace their family tree, and you will eventually find one single ancestor from which all other religions sprung. Interestingly, this definition of religion, this idea that all religions eventually merge in terms of their family roots, so to speak, back to one kind of primal religion of the past. This definition has fallen out of favor. Now, let's acknowledge that the term religion is an academic term and not generally one used to describe oneself. It's almost always used as a way to describe or evaluate others. You might likely describe yourself as religious, but probably you've never said a sentence involving description of yourself using the word religion. If you are living in Western culture, you have a definition of religion that's also likely been influenced strongly by the Protestant Reformation. Protestants tended to define themselves solely by what they believed. So today, many of us evaluate people as being part of religion or not by what they believe. And we have a tendency to dismiss other factors. But that, too, is a fairly modern understanding of what's going on. So primarily, a religion is defined by three major categories. Now, as an aside, I should say there are a lot of very wise people who have created categories of 12 definitions, 12 types of things that come into play to describe a religion, and kind of generally they would say if you are have seven out of the 12 or eight out of the 12, then you get defined as a religion. I am simplifying things here because that's way too much to go through. So there are three major categories involved in religion, and they are belief, ritual, and identity. And I would imagine most of us have an understanding of belief. If you're Muslim, then we assume you subscribe to an understanding 
that a certain series of events have happened and what those events mean to your religion. And the same is true with Christianity and Judaism, probably all major religions. Now, along with belief, religion also has some form of ritual. In my own faith, my own denomination specifically, we have rituals like baptism and communion that we share with other members of our religion, of our faith, the Episcopal Church. Judaism has the Passover Seder and a lot of other traditions, but that's one that comes to mind for me, which is a meal shared in community, but with very ritualized elements for the purpose of remembering and honoring the story and also teaching children about this story. Finally, there's identity. A large part of religion is this idea of identity, and it can, interestingly, exist almost entirely separately from the other two. I've known people who identify as Episcopalians. They don't go to church, they don't follow the rituals, but they understand themselves as belonging to that Episcopal church in their neighborhood or on the other side of town. This is their own sense of self-identity. And there are certainly people who strongly identify as, say, Jewish, but would be quick to admit they don't really follow the rituals or hold to the belief system. It is, for them, a cultural identity. I'm not an expert on all the religions of the world, but I would venture a guess that all of them have people who fall into this category. Now, you can be a member of a religion and mix and match any and all three of these elements. Some of these elements can be entirely eliminated and still function as a religion. So when someone says Buddhism isn't a religion, they really mean Buddhists don't worship a god the way we would expect. But look at them from the perspective of belief, ritual, and identity, and they easily check every single box. Now, I tend to add one more unifying piece to my definition of religion, and it is community. For something to be understood as a religion, at least for me, the idea of community comes into play. So let's go back to our three criteria. Number one, belief. So beliefs that are, in whole or part, shared within a community. Number two, ritual, which are shared by a community. And of course, identity, which means you identify as part of a community. Now, many scholars would reduce this to saying that the idea of religion is a purely social construct, which I don't particularly like. I'm not arguing that it isn't true. From an academic standpoint, I get what they're saying. I just don't like it because I think when people hear this, it sounds like it is diminishing the truth, the reality. So if we say that something is a purely social construct, then there's a tendency to understand it as being dismissed, as not real, as superfluous. Yet society, law, language, marriage, even our musical scale our measuring tape we use to decide the length of something, they're all social constructs, but enormously powerful, useful, and transformative ones, and no one would say these aren't real. Now, my purpose in this episode is not to offer you a measuring tape to decide what is and what isn't religion. Instead, it is to offer you some potentially new ways of understanding other people that can help you understand their religion, though it might be different from your own, hopefully to spark your own religious curiosity. Many years ago, I was seated next to a guy at a dinner, 
and he was a devout Christian, and he began to quiz me on my beliefs to see if, though I was currently in seminary, to see if I would earn the right to call myself a Christian, according to him. It was a tedious and frustrating conversation. Here are two people who in theory come from the same religion, and one's trying to quiz the other on his beliefs in order to judge whether or not he is really a part of the religion. Why do we do this kind of stuff? Why do we encounter people who we think might differ from us and we feel the need to judge them, to evaluate them? I'm reminded of one of the wonderful speeches given by the lead character on the TV show Ted Lasso. So the lead character is Ted Lasso himself, who's confronting Rupert, the arrogant billionaire, and they happen to be playing a game of darts in a pub. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. And that's really what this is all about. When it comes to other beliefs, other faiths, other religions, be curious, not judgmental. Oh, and if you're curious about the quote, no, Walt Whitman didn't say it. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Because it doesn't really change the power of the words. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for Sky Pilot Faith Quest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is dan at skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T dot zone. Dan at skypilot dot zone. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>